Awesome. Well, we'll go ahead and jump there to, to Genesis 1. You know, Genesis was highly requested, um, and it's not a short book. So, I don't know. What do you reckon? Two years? <laughs> How long was Romans? Romans was long, right? Genesis will be longer. <laughs> That's for sure. We'll, we'll, look, we'll read here, we'll, you know, starting there in verse 1, uh, all the way to, to chapter 2, verse 3. Like I said, though, we're not going to like, you know, if you, you know, we'll, we'll look at this text more depthly. This text raises a lot of questions. Uh, a lot of people like to argue about this text. Uh, we're going to read it, and I guarantee you, I give you a promise, I'm not going to satisfy uh, your questions today. All right? We'll give some overview and we'll look at some themes. And the next week, hopefully, we can answer, you know, maybe get a little bit more nitty gritty uh, into the text and those things, but just some framework. So, we'll talk about uh, a few things about Genesis and science, give us some framework on how to maybe think about that and see that. Uh, some of the plain things about God that are being made known right, in, in Genesis. Uh, and then, obviously, there's some things about us that, that we should take note of. Uh, but before we do that, let, let's read here the text. Starting there, verse one, page one of your Bible. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was, there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And it was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the waters teems and it moves about in it according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, 
and all the creatures that move along on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in, in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that he had made what he, that all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Amen. Very famous, you know, obviously section of scripture. Uh, and like I said, there's a lot in here, right? A lot in here that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in the, in, the, in the coming weeks and unpack in greater detail. Uh, but for today, we will talk about these, these basic ideas uh, as an overview, right? There's lots of great books written on, on Genesis. Uh, a couple I will, you know, just throw out and, and reference a fair bit. John Walton has, has uh, written one recently called The Lost World of Genesis. Uh, that's a good one. There's another great one called The Pentateuch as a Narrative, which kind of covers obviously the entire uh, Pentateuch, but it's also a good read. Uh, not necessarily an easy read, but a good read nonetheless. Uh, and, and, you know, lots of good podcasts you can listen to as well. Uh, but nonetheless, let's look at these things, right? A few things about Genesis and science, some things about God, and some things about us, right? Uh, so Genesis and science. Uh, if you, you know, go out and you share your faith and you talk to other people about God, which I'm sure you do as disciples, right? Um, you know, you, you inevitably will at some point meet someone uh, who... who puts these two things right up against one another, right? Uh, and maybe you've even felt that a lot of, a lot of times as Christians. We, you know, you, people come and, you know, they have doubts uh, about various things. And a lot of times it stems uh, from Genesis 1 and 2 uh, and whatever science class they've had at university uh, or, you know, podcast or TED Talk that they've listened to, uh, you know, and, and, and Genesis and science end up duking it out. Uh, and there's a lot, you know, there are, there are some inherent challenges with it, right? Uh, with Genesis alone, as there is with any book that we read, right, in the Bible, there are always going to be challenges with interpretation, right? Most of us are not reading biblical Hebrew, right? And even if we were reading biblically Hebrew, uh, the, the Hebrew that, that the Old Testament was written in uh, was written a long time ago. And so language is a vehicle for communicating ideas, uh, those ideas take root and grow and flourish and gain meaning in the cultures in which they are, they are originally written. And so there are, there are challenges with reading uh, an ancient text like Genesis, right? Uh, that's true for the entire book of Genesis. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are especially challenging. A lot of commentators refer to Genesis 1 to 11, right? So everything pre-Abram, uh, you know, kind of as like a prehistory history. Uh, and the, the, a lot of the stories that, that we love and, uh, you know, uh, grow up with uh, from Noah and, and the ark uh, to, you know, every parent's favorite go-to scripture when your kid's fighting, Cain and Abel, 
uh, you know, uh, to the Tower of Babel. Uh, all, all these stories, you know, they're, they're, they're very famous stories, but they, especially, again, first 11 chapters of Genesis, kind of like prehistory history. Uh, and even in Genesis 1 and 2, as we unpack it in the coming weeks, we'll see, look, well, there's kind of like, there's even kind of two creation accounts. Right? Are these contradictory to one another or are they complementary? You know, how, how are we meant to see them? And we'll, we'll talk about some of those contexts uh, more in depth. But I do think we've got to appreci- appreciate the challenges that come with reading an ancient text. A lot of times we try to simplify it. and We say, well, I just take what the literal meaning is of Genesis. Well, there's, there's challenges with that, right? Uh, you know, it, you, you can take it very literally as you understand literally. But is that how they understood it? Maybe not. Uh, even, you know, Augustine, the, the, the famous dead guy from church history in the fourth century, you know, I mean, even Augustine looked at, at Genesis and, and saw, well, I mean, can you take the days as literal days? Well, there's no sun until day four. So that obviously has some complexities if you try to take it overly literally uh, in a way that maybe it wasn't intended to be taken. Uh, again, we'll, we'll talk about these things, but I do think we've got to appreciate the challenges that come with reading an ancient text that was written to people in a different language and a different culture. The Old Testament does communicate to us, as John Walton says, and it was written for us and for all humankind, but it was not written to us. It was written to Israel. And Israel had specific needs, right? Again, we studied the Ten Commandments recently, uh, and we talked a lot about, as we went through the Ten Commandments, what it meant for them Right? What it meant for ancient Israel as a nation, uh, and then what it means for us. Right? And, and we've got to understand for them, Israel, as they're, as they're getting this, they've spent 400 years in Egypt, you know, being, being pummeled with those cultural ideas. Right? And so a lot of, even what we'll uncover here as we go through Genesis, we'll see is, is pushing back against some of those Egyptian creation uh, narratives uh, that they were familiar with. God knows that Israel will spend a fair bit of time in Babylon, where they're again going to be, uh, you know, having ancient, you know, Sumeric uh, concepts pushed on them. And again, a lot of a lot of what we see as we go through Genesis here uh, is God helping them to grasp that. Right now, if we just take the literal meaning as we think it means for us, we're probably going to miss the meaning of, of what it originally meant, and we'll miss what perhaps God is trying to tell us. You know, secondly, here we see that there are challenges, obviously, even with the scientific claim. Like I said, a lot of people try to harmonize Genesis and science, and in doing so, they tend to destroy both of those things. Right? And there are, there are, there are vastly more intelligent people than me that, that write entire, you know, books on that idea, you know. And if you're curious about that, you know, you can get on, there, there's a website called BioLogos, uh, you know, which, you know, was championed by some of the guys that are on the Human Genome Project that have, a, you know, Christian background, Francis Collins. He's kind of fallen out because he was close to Fauci and all that stuff in the U.S., but nonetheless, interesting writer. Uh, and he writes a famous book called The Language of Science and God. But he, he really is trying to do that. He's trying to harmonize Genesis and, and, and modern-day science, uh, which is an interesting approach, and I'm not advocating for that approach, but we've got to be careful with that approach. You know, because what's the picture on the screen there? It's kind of like, you know, the current scientific viewpoint on, on how everything came into existence. But, but, but 50 years ago would have been something different. 100 years ago would have been something different. 50 years from now it'll be something different. 
In a hundred years from now, it'll be something different. Science, by its very, you know, you know, uh, self-imposed uh, guidelines, is constantly evaluating and adjusting and, and refining uh, the, the hypotheses, and so it, it's constantly changing. And so, when we try to harmonize Genesis and science, well, which science? Our current one. If we if we stake our faith on that, and it changes in fifty years, what are you going to do then? Right? Then maybe we shouldn't be merging these two together as much as we try to do, right? If God were intent on making his revelation corresponding to science, he would have needed to make very clear which science exactly. I mean, imagine God trying to explain to even Moses there up on the mountain, uh, cosmic inflation. Probably would have been difficult. Right? Probably would have been difficult. And he said, okay, we've got to, got to have, have humility to understand, look, we, you know, they're, they're addressing different questions. And that third idea under this concept of what is God actually trying to tell us is important. More often than any other text, Genesis is the, uh, you know, is beaten down with the wrong questions. We read some of the Genesis stories and we, we have all these questions from our modern lens, but, but, but it doesn't answer them. Right? I mean, who's, who's Cain scared of? Where did they come from? Right? I mean, if it's just Adam and Eve and they're in the garden having kids and the first two kids end up in a fight and one kills the other and then Cain is terrified of all the other people? Where did they come from? You know, and we, and we can get stuck up asking that kind of question, you know, which is, again, a common question. Maybe if you haven't thought that before, now you're thinking that in your face is rocked. Welcome to church. You know, and I apologize for that. You know, but, but, but again, we, we come to the Bible text with all these questions, but maybe they're the wrong questions. Right? And our aim as we go through Genesis will really be to, to, to try to draw the text, what is God telling us? Yeah, we have questions, and, you know, those questions that we have and demand answers to probably reveal more about ourselves than anything else. And if we can grasp the humility to be quiet a bit more and listen to God, maybe, maybe we'll learn a fair bit along the way. Amen? Right? So there's some thoughts on, on, on God and science, or Genesis and science. You know, but, but there are some clear things here in our text about God. Right? Three things here to, to consider briefly. Right? God simply is. Right? And it begins with, in the beginning, God. Right? You know, God is the source. That's clear, right? right? Whether this is, uh, you know, God taking base materials that were already into existence uh, before he told Moses to start writing, uh, or, or whether he's, you know, he's he literally creating everything in that time. Well, the, the clear thing is God is the source, right? And the other, you know, startling thing that we, we, we should take note of is that he is a God that speaks, right? So look, look at these three things, right? Look at the contrast uh, even with this first one in regards to our own Western viewpoint. Right? In the beginning, God. That's how Genesis 1 begins. Right? Most of us, whether we're uh, aware of it or not, whether, you know, as I think it's C.S. Lewis talks about, right, we have a choice in life. We can be conscious, conscious participants right, of how we've arrived at how we think and how we see things, or we can become unconscious victims. Right? That we all have biases, we all have ideas, we all have viewpoints uh, that have been shaped by people who have been dead for hundreds of years. Uh, you know, and if we just act like we don't, well, we're going to be unconscious victims in that process. Right? So we should be conscious participants. We should understand even the thinkers that have come before us that have shaped how we see. And one of the famous ones uh, for, for, for Westerners is Descartes. 
right? And Descartes, as he, you know, I know you can YouTube him uh, and watch some, you know, some funny kind of, you know, those like sketch videos where they draw as they talk. Uh, there's a good one about this one. I encourage you to hop on there, not right now, but later on and read it. Though inevitably somebody probably will, and it'll play out loud in a second. But you know, there's an interesting Descartes as he sits there and he's pondering, you know, how do I know I exist? Right? And he goes down this rabbit hole, and you know, it's a dark rabbit hole. Descartes at one point is, is contemplating that maybe even the thought he has about his own existence has been tainted by demons that have infiltrated his mind. Rabbit hole, right? Maybe you can sympathize sometimes if you find yourself going down rabbit holes, right? But eventually Descartes comes out of that rabbit hole and, you know, he comes to the conclusion that though he can't, you know, trust his own senses, he, he, he knows he exists because I think, therefore I am. So you can know that for certain because of that thought, right? But, but again, he's one of the first philosophers uh, that's heavily influenced Western thought. Uh, and obviously over time, what has that fed? I me. <laughs> I think, therefore I am, right? Uh, it's, it's fairly individualistic. Now, did Descartes know what, you know, rabbit hole he was creating when he had that thought uh, and pinned it in, in, in a way that, you know, became catchy? Probably not, but, but nonetheless, we've been shaped by that. We are the most highly individualistic people that have ever existed in the history of mankind, uh, and we're reaping all the, the horrible benefits of that reality, right? You know, but because see that the Bible starts very differently. Doesn't start with us. Doesn't start with mankind as a center point. It doesn't start with telling us where God came into existence, which is a question we often ask or someone else throws at you. Well, where did God come from? It, it begins with in the beginning, God. He is the beginning. He's the one who initiates the beginning. We're not even day one, day two, right? We're, we're further down. Right? Now, we do have special place, and we'll talk about that in a second, but, but in some sense, what, what, what does this tell us? I mean, puts us in our place. Right? Puts us in our place and where we should be. We need to know our role. Michelle often tells me when you know, I have unnecessary opinions about things around the house that I need to stay in my lane. Right? I need to know my role. You know? Sam Percy rebukes me when I try to you know, do the dishes and I just let everything soak. Right? I don't know what I'm doing. You know, stay in your life. And in some sense, I think in the beginning, God is, that, is meant to do that to us. It's to push back against our self-centered tendencies and force us to step back and see God as he is. Our existence, our, our you know, understanding of the world around us, everything in creation it is dependent on him. We can argue all we want about how he you know, made what he's made, but, but that may be the wrong question. We need to understand the dependence we have on him as our creator. My existence, your existence, all of our existence is dependent on him, and he simply exists. You know, he's the source, and as a reality of him being the source of all things, again, there are entire books, I think, written, debating the, the ideas you know, is, is this a literal seven days? Is this the order of what, what God, you know, how God created? Should we try to do mental gymnastics to align, you know, our latest viewpoints of, uh, of evolution and whether, you know, that order lines up, you know, with the, the order of the days? Again, a lot of ink is spilled trying to, to but, but is that the point? I mean, it's, it's, I think it's the, 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 the clear thing is, man, God is the source. We, we want to debate the how a lot of times instead of maybe really meditating on, on, well, what does that mean if he's the source? 
He's the source of all, all that exists. But what, what does that mean for us? And really, it's tremendously good news. You know, I've read uh, a couple interesting books uh, or begun to read a couple interesting books lately. Uh, and they talk about, you know, our modern fascination with, with um, the latest, you know, problems in society and how uh, we, we are more drawn to those than in the past we, we, we you know, ever were, really. Right? And, and, and uh, you know, again, I'm not offering commentary on climate change or those things, but, but we seem to be drawn to those things with a level of fervor that in the past mankind hasn't really been that interested to that. And uh, I can't remember the name of the writer. It's Michael something. Uh, and he writes some interesting books called The, the, uh, uh, the End of Apocalypse um, and, uh, and San Francisco, which is a clever title. Um, you know, uh, but, but he talks about how, you know, may, maybe because we've, we've ripped God out of our culture, that all of a sudden we're searching deeply for meaning. Searching deeply for purpose. And I would argue that, that one of the ways that even God has structured the, the, you know, Genesis 1 is this idea that, that, that if, if there is a creator, if there is a source, if there, if there is a designer for all that exists, and, and, and we are, you know, as we'll talk about here in a second, created in his image, man, that brings incredible purpose and meaning to our lives. Yeah. I mean, if there is no God, really, I mean, you know, that's a depressing thought if you begin to think about it. I mean, if atheism, you know, is true, right? There's a great book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. You can read that. I think it's by uh, Frank Turek. Uh, you know, and, and, and he talks about in, the, in that book this concept of, man, if you really step back and begin to think about that idea that there is no God, and so therefore there is no purpose for your life. Other than, you know, increasing your genetic code into the, you know, communal code uh, pool of, of genetics. That's it. That's pretty bleak. It's a pretty bleak thought, and it really, you know, again, removes... Purpose and meaning, and we, we are a people that clearly hunger for that. Clearly hunger for purpose and meaning in the wider story. Uh, you know, Genesis and this idea that God created you reinforces that idea that, man, you, you are created with a purpose. You are given responsibility. God entrusts, I mean, you think about what he does here in Genesis, and like I said, we'll talk about this more next week, but uh, in some sense, he's taking the base materials of land and water, and he's bringing order and functionality to it. And then what does he do? He takes Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the garden, and he tells them to, to rule, subdue, and cultivate. To join in the process, in some sense, of what he's done. God has created, he's taken you know, that which he made, because he's the source of all things, and he's brought order to it. Right? So that there's order to every aspect of their life. And then in some sense, he invites Adam and Eve join in that work. He gives him purpose because he is a source. And like I said, it's not merely that God is a source of everything, but, but again, like more, more last week, I prom- or next week, I promise, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this idea that it's not just that God creates, that there's, there's intentionality here of the order. You know, and even, you know, I'll put a chart up again next week, I'm trying to tie you into coming next week, obviously, you know, that... That, that the first three days and the second, you know, three days, that there, there, there's a, a, a mirror aspect to them, right? That they're working together as, as God creates functionality uh, in that which, is, which he created, which is, which is an incredible evidence, really, for his existence, right? I mean, the, the fact that there is creation, that is evidence alone, that there is a God, right? Most of us understand that, Romans 1, we look at that, we appreciate that. But, but when you add a functionality aspect to it, Right? Irreducible complexity. I mean, this idea that it's not just that, 
It's not just that he's made, uh, you, know, you know, as we see there, day four, uh, a, a, a greater light and a lesser light, which is, again is a swipe at Egyptians who, who worship the celestial beings. They're not even given names, right? Uh, greater light, lesser light. <laughs> These are not gods. Uh, God created them, right? But, but even, even the fact that, that we have it, right? I mean, you can watch YouTube videos. You can read books about, you know, what if there is no moon? Right? Even Jake, my, my seven-year-old, came home from school the other day uh, raving about the importance of Jupiter. Right? Uh, what's the likelihood of us having stable life and not being pummeled by asteroids constantly? Well, we need Jupiter. Right? Jupiter absorbs it. A huge uh, planet with a strong gravitational pull actually saves Earth from being pummeled constantly by asteroids coming from the outer universe. That's kind of a cool thought, right? But it's not just that God made you know, the moon or not just that he made Jupiter. Uh, it's not just that he makes... you know. The, the difference between light and darkness and land and sea, uh, you, know, you know, plants that produces seeds that fall to the ground and die and produce more, more seeds. It's not just that he's made all that. He, he made it and it functions. It functions. It works together. And a lot of it doesn't happen if it's not both there. You know, I mean, it's like you, you, can, you can make a boat and that boat can have a motor, but if it doesn't have a propeller, that's a useless boat. Right? Dead in the water. Hopefully that never happens. Right? You know, but man, you need both to function. And there's a functionality uh, brought in. And, and Genesis 1 really hammers on that idea that God's not just creating. Again, we can be very materialistic in, in how we see things. He's creating not just materially, but functionally. Right? And that's, a, that's, a, that's an incredible thing. Right? Uh, third and lastly under that heading is he speaks. He's not like some unmoved mover. He's not some distant deity uh, that, you know, lights a fire and walks away. You know what I mean? He, 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 he speaks, which again is greatly contrasted to the, you know, Egyptian creation myths or the Babylonian uh, or, or, or Syrian, you know, or Sumerian uh, creation myths, which is this idea that I mean, creation has come to be as a as violent fighting between the deities. No, no, no. God just speaks. And it comes into existence. And that, that's kind of a remarkable concept. But then he speaks to people and they understand him. That's, that's remarkable. And that's tremendously good news. This idea God is not distant and far off. And he speaks language that we can understand. And as he speaks, like, like I touched on earlier, man, he, he entrusts responsibility to them. It's trust responsibility to mankind. That's, that's incredibly good news, and it's a repetitive thing. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, over and over and over again, reminding us here and hitting us with the, the fact that we worship a God who speaks. Third and lastly, because I know it's a lot of information, you know, we do see some very cool things about us, right? About us. You know, I think it's no mistake here that right in the beginning, uh, it begins with in the beginning God, but we do get ushered in eventually. And when we do get ushered in, it's with a very lofty concept. As God says, you know, then God said, let us, and we'll touch on the plurality of that, and, and, you know, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, in the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creation that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female he created. In Genesis 1 there, 26 and 27. That's an incredible idea. Incredible idea. That, that, that male and female are created in the image of God. 
you know, Jordan Peterson, who I don't, I don't no longer know how to define what he is, secular psychologist or re religious man. And his next book, I think, is called, uh, you know, Wrestling with God or something like that. So it seems to be heading in a trajectory, you know. But he did, a, he did a series, and Ben was asking about this earlier, uh, on Genesis. I've not listened to all of it. But, you know, he, he often talks about that verse, of this idea that, that, that male and female are created in the image of God. This one that, if, again, if you grew up going to church, it's kind of like you heard it so many times, you never really stop and think about it. But, you know, he is, you know, a non-religious person who, who picked up the Bible later in life, looked at it and thought, man, that's, that's a divine spark. That idea that, that not just the king, not just the tribal chief, not just the powerful male, but, but everyone, male and female, are created in the image of God. Again, the ancient world, the only people that, you know, uh, you know, could kill enough people to lay claim to deity were often kings, right? Silence their, you know, opposition, right? And, and, and yet in the Bible, right, in the beginning, it's saying, no, 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 each, each person is created in the image of God. And that to me is like a teaser, like a trailer in some sense, trying to draw us in to think, okay, right in the beginning, we're, we're, we get this, you know, incredible image of, of a God that is creating and bringing everything that we know into existence with not just its existence, but, uh, you know, he declares it good, emphasizing the functionality of it, uh, you know, and that, that, that it does, it, it works and it functions. But then he says, hey, you're made in his image. I mean, that's like an invitation to, to read on. But if that's, if, that's what he, if that's what he can do, and you're made in his image, then, man, your life has tremendous purpose. Your life has tremendous potential and possibilities. It's an invitation to discover who you are and what you're meant to do. Those fundamental questions that all of people think about at some point in their life, uh, you know, when they pause for long enough to actually have rational thought. Man, these are fundamental questions. You know, and not just that we're made in his image, but man, like I told, said earlier, I mean, he, he invites us to rule. To be like his vice regents. You know, to, to be his ambassadors, his representatives. That's an incredible thought. To work and to cultivate, again, to take what he has created and, and make it more fruitful. Right? To fill it. Which is, you know, the third point there, obviously, that's become a little bit more... Uh, of a, you know, hot topic of late, male and female, right? And again, we understand what, the, what he means why he repetitively says good. We understand what that means because eventually he says what? Yeah, he does say that, but he also says something's not good, right? Adam without Eve. And why is it not good? Well, Adam can't do what he's meant to do without Eve, He's not going to be fruitful and increase in number, that's for sure, by himself. Because creation is created functionally. And that's what God is doing is he creates and he looks at it and he sees it functionally. He says, man, that's good. He's not making a moral judgment about whether it's good or evil. He's just saying, man, that, it works. It works. And, and we, you know, mankind together, male and female, man, that works. And it's a very different picture uh, of life than you get from the other cultures around us. Amen. You know, so hopefully that's not too much information, right? But again, just an introduction to some of the themes that as we go through Genesis in the, you know, I don't know, coming years, it's a little bit daunting to think about, right? We're going to unpack in greater detail, uh, but, but, but do encourage you to think about these things, right? There's some things about Genesis and science, and we need to, we need to help them stay in their roles.
stay in their lanes, right? Uh, there's a lot of things about God in there. We probably don't think a lot enough about or meditate enough on, right? And there are some things for sure about us that we've got to grasp with only in light of that idea that we, we are not the source. We are not the center of the universe. Yes, we have a privileged position, but that's only as a byproduct of our creator choosing to create, choosing to give us light. Amen? We'll have a prayer, and then we'll stand and sing one final song. Uh, Father, we, uh, you know, we do thank you, God. We thank you for the beauty of even the poetry that we read there in Genesis. Uh, we thank you that, that you, you, you did create the heavens and the earth, God. You know, we wouldn't exist uh, apart from that moment, God. We're grateful for that, Father. We, we pray, God, that you help us, God. Help us to appreciate just, you know, obviously the simplicity of just the fact that, that you, you, you have brought everything into existence and you maintain everything in existence, God. And that as you created it and you designed it and, and you know, brought it into being, you, you stepped back and you saw it as good. And it functions, God. And help us, God, to, to leave here, God, today inspired to seek you and to follow you, God. To know that, that you, with you as our creator, God, that, that you know, our lives can only really be good if we follow your word, God. And trust in you as, as the creator of all things, God. We do pray that you bless our study of Genesis, God. Do you help us, God? Uh, you know, if, if we do have, you know, heaps of, you know, presuppositions and ideas, God, help us, God. Help us to really be a people to get back to the text, God. And to have the humility to, to let go of the questions we have. Instead, consider the words that you have, God. Help us in that pursuit to, to be a people that are transformed as we gaze at you with unveiled faces. Seeing you as we should see you. And then, in see, of course, seeing ourselves as we should see ourselves. God, help us in all these pursuits. Pour, pour out grace uh, and mercy and forgiveness on us, God, as we pursue these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Let's stand together and sing.